Hello and welcome to an all-new episode of the Three Bid League podcast. As always, I'm Tyler, joined by my co-host Matt. And as we enter week three of A10 play, we're going to do a few quick buys and sells. Quick note, though, this will be a little bit shorter than the episode lengths that you've come to know from us. Uh, the holiday and the extra day of games this week kind of screwing up the normal schedule. But don't worry, we will be back with an episode and some guests in the second half of the week. So be sure to keep an eye out for that. But Matt, any takeaways from this weekend of games that we just got to watch together or from this MLK doubleheader? It was just a wild weekend of basketball. I mean, GW, not not so much on Martin Luther King Day against George Mason, where they kind of took care of business, but... I feel like we've maybe had the two wildest games of the season at the Smith Center, and that's just going to continue. But the other games were great, too. We saw Richmond pull out a close win, Rhode Island go to 3-0, and just a lot of interesting things happening. Yeah, I was a little bummed that George Mason couldn't close the gap there. I, everything about this GW season tells us when they start hot offensively, they tend to fall apart later in the game, and that's where a bunch of these fun clutch games have come from. But the Revolutionaries, they bent a thousand times in that second half, but they never broke. Every time it felt like Mason was about to just take control and finish off the comeback, they got a big shot. Yeah, kind of. One of the few times this year against a good team where they just took a lead and held on to it and it never, never got all that close, so... Yeah, all of a sudden, I just feel like, too, is a quick reaction to the A-10. You can throw out a lot of what we said two weeks ago, where the the contenders we had, the Duquesne, St. Joe's, VCUs, George Mason, St. Bonaventure, all 500 or worse in the league. And meanwhile, Loyola, Chicago, and Rhode Island, who we pretty much completely wrote off, they would be in the double buy right now. So... Fun, yeah, fun things are and, happening. Well, let's even take it a week farther where I called George Mason the safest bet for a double buy, and they have since gone 0-3. Well, I also said St. Joe's would enter the Dayton game at 8-1, and and that, that ended pretty quickly. So we, we can't get everything right, but that's made for a fun season. It, it's been as unpredictable of a start to the conference season as any I can remember. Yeah, and at this point, we, we could have done a whole episode where we just predict the other three double buy teams because there's no way we're the same. I actually still feel kind of good about George Mason. I think we both have to pick someone who would currently be in the pillow fight, given that there's a good chance that either St. Bonaventure, St. Joe's, or Duquesne will turn it around. And one of them may never make it out of there. But who knows? Maybe we'll cover that in our buys and sells. You want to kick this off? Yeah, let's do that. We'll we'll start with a little double buy talk, and that'll be one of my buys. And, and I'm not sure I'm really going out on a limb here. They're actually second in the current A10 talk power rankings this week, but I'm buying Richmond as the legitimate second best team in the league because they've done one thing no one's really done in the conference so far. They've beaten three good teams, uh, St. Bonaventure at home, Loyola on the road, and then George Mason at home over the weekend. All, I mean, the two home games, fairly convincing, I would say. And then any road win in the conference is impressive. But what gets me about the Spiders, they are one of a select few teams in the conference that 
I think we can say they have two bona fide stars. I mean, Jordan King has he would be a first team player at this point in the season. And Neil Quinn is just much improved and he's led Aspire's offense that has really come together this year. Uh, I don't really know. Like how many other teams can we say have two two guys that are going to finish in the first and second teams? Maybe like the UMass front court, the Duquesne back court, if they turn it around. Maybe St. Bonaventure with Venning and Adams Woods, and then if a second Dayton player breaks out, but there's not well, a whole if lot. If Kobe Elvis is healthy, he counts now. I mean, probably, but for Dayton, it's kind of a different guy every night, and I feel like no one's going to stand out by the end of the season with their stats, where Richmond, I, I think we can guarantee that Jordan King and Neil Quinn will be in the top 12 players in the conference by the end, and then you add in all the other pieces. I, Isaiah Bigelow has really turned out to be a great rebounder. Jai Bailey's playing awesome defense and finally contributing offensively. It's a deep team. They they have eight or nine guys who can play at this level. So I think the Spiders are going to keep it up. And as I've said a couple times, their schedule really opens up in the second half. So if they can, you know, play 500 ball over the next two weeks or so, I, I think they're in great shape to stay in the double buy race. So one of my buys is somewhat similar because I am buying Richmond as a team. I think that they are, God, I don't want to say anything too presumptive after my grand gesture of George Mason being good last week. But Richmond right now clearly does look like the second best team. But what I'm buying most specifically is Jordan King winning the A-10 scoring title. And he's he's only sitting two-tenths of a point back right now from Deron Holmes and has actually lost ground since conference play has started fourth between behind Holmes, Bishop, and Eric Reynolds so far since we clicked into conference play despite him being at 21.7 points a game. But that George Mason game just proved that he is the league's best pure scorer. And also, sorry, it's Gibson Jimerson ahead of him in conference play, not Eric Reynolds. But it proved that King is the best pure scorer in this conference. An absolutely dominant 31-point performance against one of the better defenses in the Atlantic 10. And despite Mason's struggles, those have all come on the offensive end. They've continued to be great defensively. And a little guard shooting 5 of 7 against them from two-point range is basically just been unheard of the way that the Patriots have played ball all season long. Now, King so far, his numbers in conference play propped up by two fantastic three-point shooting games. But the reason that I'm starting to really, really believe in him right now is the fact that that was such an un-Richmond-like game offensively against the Patriots. And this happened earlier in the year against a really tough Colorado team as well where the ball movement is just not there. The role guys who have started to play really well just really didn't show up against Mason except for Delani Hunt at the beginning of the game. But King can carry this offense in a way that we really haven't seen just about anyone in the Chris Mooney era be able to do, to just break away when things stink. And that's why I'm starting to really believe in Richmond. Because the system makes them good, but Jordan King's ability to freelance 
when things aren't going well is what could make them potentially great this year. I mean, I'm I'm not trying to take a shot here, but and I'm not I'm also not projecting future like professional development or whatever. But just for this season alone, like how much worse is Jordan King than Eric Reynolds? Is he worse? I mean, they're having very comparable seasons. I just watching them both play, it's kind of similar the way they're able to create and just produce at an individual level. After the last two weeks, if you're weighting the fact that these games are more important now, Jordan King's had a better season. Yeah, I would agree. It's it's by the thinnest of margins, and it could change by the time we take the mics again, but right now it's Jordan King. And by the way, Ken Palm agrees. They have him number two in the player of the year conversation behind, obviously, Deron Holmes. Yeah, I mean, I think that is fair to put him there, too. He's been outstanding. All right, I'm, I'll, I'll sell a team that has been outstanding the last few weeks, but I just don't think it's going to keep up. Did you know that right now Fordham is second? Oh my god, in... this is my this is my. Was next this point yours? Here. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess we're only gonna have seven tonight. It's fine. Well, I have an honorable mention. I'll just actually <laughs> talk about it. So, yeah, this blew my mind. The the thing about Fordham, they they had a really impressive win against St. Bonaventure at the Riley Center, heralded as one of the toughest places to play for years, but just feel like a lot of their numbers have been propped up by playing two teams early on that cannot defend GW and LaSalle. And I just feel like we still have enough evidence from the non-conference where I think the offense will crash back to earth sooner than later. And, and the other concerning thing too, just Fordham's defense has kind of fallen apart, even though they're two and one in the league with two wins on the road, still just not really not high on this team moving forward. It's been a nice start. They're playing a little bit better basketball, but defense is how they're going to win the bulk of their games and just hasn't, it's been pretty average this year from start to finish. These three conference games for the Rams have really been dictated by red hot three point shooting on both sides. Fordham at 40.7% themselves surrendering 39.2% on the other side. So let's, go in and take a look at how the year has gone for them in those regards. They were outside the top 200 nationally in three-point shooting before this stretch. They were a completely unreliable team in that regard, something that we've talked about all season long. They're getting a good year from Jafay Medor, 38% on super high volume. Kyle Rose is at 39 on iffy volume. But other than that, they basically stink from beyond the arc and you really have to buy into Medor being a true high fire sharpshooter in the way that Jordan King has been this year to believe that they can sustain that on the other side opponents torching them from three has been happening all year they're sitting at 261 nationally in that regard and that's the biggest def- that's the biggest reason why their defense has taken a huge step back this year. They're still a very good team defending inside the three-point arc, but outside's been a problem. It's become even worse as of late. And this isn't even a new problem in conference play. They got roasted by Central Connecticut State in that loss back in December. They gave up 80 points to an awful NJIT team. They had to go nuclear on offense just to nudge out Columbia 
And all of a sudden, after six weeks of great defense and putrid offense, now it's shaky defense with okay to twice they were awesome offense. That formula is not going to work out well for the Rams. Yeah, I mean, I, I still, despite the two and one start, I, I expect this to be a bottom three team in the league. I just, I, I mean, they know how to win. We can say that from last year, but there's just been too many red flags throughout the season. And I'm not really sure how it's, how sustainable the way they've been winning is. It's not. It really hit. They're number two in offensive efficiency yeah. in Ken Palm in conference play. And Rhodey's number one. And there's oh. not one person on earth who would have projected that those would be the top two at this, this point. I, so I wouldn't say with Rhodey. I, I don't know if, I mean, they won't finish the season at number one, but I mean, I can get into that. That's kind of one of my buys the next or for the rest of the season. I'm just impressed by their front court. Getting David Green back was pretty huge as one of those multiple-time transfers that gained eligibility in late December. But he's been one of their most efficient players, coming off 24 points against UMass, making four threes. And then the other end of that, I don't think we've talked enough about David Fuchs, who's, I I would say, still on the fringe of the all-rookie race. Right now, he's sixth in the conference in offensive rating. So just having a really efficient season, he's been a great rebounder, one of the top in the entire league throughout the season. So just think that now that they can have Fuchs and Green in the lineup, that just that gives them a lot more offensive production, I think, than Tyson Brown. So overall, I don't know. Rody has maybe turned a corner. This is their first three-game winning streak in conference play since David Cox's last team got off to a hot start and then things fizzled out. We'll see if Archie's team does the same thing or if this actually means something and they can avoid the pillow fight this year. Yeah, if we had done a full team-specific segment to lead the show today, I think Rhode Island would have deserved that spot. And I'll promise the listeners right now, if they can go on the road this week and win either at the Riley Center or especially if Archie goes back home and wins at UD Arena, we will spend at least 15 minutes on Rhode Island next week because they have been impressive and it's largely fueled by that front court. Now, this week might be the week that everything starts to look fake, but I did want to take a brief aside. One of my honorable mentions, if we had gone to five, I'm just buying Luis Courtright as a quickly improving player. His averages are way up just because he went so berserk in the Davidson game. It's going to kind of knock things off kilter after he scored 26 against the Wildcats. But this is a guy who was a pretty nothing player in the first month of the season, started to show flashes that he was a worthy starter in December, and is now just a surefire true number two option next to Jaden House. And I know the front court's taken a big leap from being pretty awful early on in the year. But to me, just watching them this week in those two games, I've been more impressed with Courtright's growth than anybody. And, and I think with Brody, too, I, I already said this about Richmond having a tough start to the schedule, but 
I mean, the 3-0 and record in conference play isn't empty. Beating St. Joe's and UMass at home is impressive, and we'll see what happens to Davidson season because they've kind of fallen apart since the close of their strong non-conference. But, I mean, winning on the road there has been one of the toughest tasks in the conference for years. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, if they can even keep it competitive against St. Bonaventure or Dayton on the road and keeping those games within single digits, I think that would bode very well for the rest of the season for the Rams. I mean, we both just destroyed a Fordham team that went on the road and beat St. Bonaventure. So that one, eh. that one's looking a little shakier right now, but probably, but all right. It, it's my narrative. I'll go to my third one and maybe there's nothing to sell. This is probably a penny stock already, but I'm just selling any 10 plus man rotations. And this is kind of a, a two pronged piece to this. We've talked all season about how Loyola's talent does not match their performance. And now with their three and one start, it finally is beginning to. One of the biggest reasons, Jaden Dawson is playing at an all-conference level, and they've figured out who their guys are now. It's Dawson, Norris, Watson, Alston, and some sort of Adela Kuhn, Ruben platoon with a, a little bit of Greg Dolenz and Patrick Mwamba. Valentine finally figured out on Saturday that if Jalen Quinn's terrible offensively in the first half, he's not going to get it in the second half. He kept him to 10 minutes in that game. And he rode those three guards that have played so well so far this year with Norris Watson and Dawson. And as Loyola started to figure things out, as these guys have gotten comfortable in their role, now they're starting to finally play good ball that matches their talent. Although, quick aside, they threw Ben Schweiger in for like three minutes in the Richmond game the other day, and he just did good things for them, and then we didn't see him again. And I feel like every four-minute spurt he's played this year, he's been productive, and I don't get it. But on the flip side, Duquesne now lost in the basement at 0-3. And you were there with me in Palumbo on Friday night. Yes, they were playing the best team in the league. Yes, Deron Holmes had a career game against them. But something just didn't seem right with the Dukes at any point that night. And I've been in the arena for just about half their games over the last two seasons with this Grant Clark Rozier group together. And they've been one of the most excitable, really seeming to be one of the closest knit teams I've ever gotten to witness in my life. And on Friday, that bench was dead. The body language was not there. Those guys just looked bummed all game, save for their walk-on Jake DeMichael, who was the star of that game. And then Fusini Drame, who was basically the only guy who seemed to have a spark on that bench in the second half. And it, it's got to boil down to the fact that their rotation is basically just changing by the media timeout. They're playing 12 guys in a game still. Trey Williams finally back from injury, plays great in the second half, was going right at Deron Holmes to start that half, scored on him on a post-up twice, and then only played three more minutes. Like, going into this, now a really hard game against Richmond on Tuesday night, I would hope for sake of that team that they just pick eight or nine guys, and those are just the guys at this point. Because the rules constantly changing cannot be good for a locker room, and I... 
I wish we could ask like Dr. John or Matt McCall or one of these other coaches we've had on the show right now, what that does to a player's psyche. It can't be good. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like those guys just never know what they're going to get on a given night, whether they're going to go two minutes or 20 minutes. So, yeah, just watching that Duquesne game, it was honestly hard to follow who was out on the court at any given time. I feel like you could have just bought Jaden Dawson, too. I, that's what I was expecting. I was going to, but so. I, I already did it with Jordan King, and I kind of wanted to complain about Duquesne yeah. for a minute because I'm, I'm telling you right now, if this team is still a wonky rotation disaster and they have no energy in that Richmond game, they might just be done. They might just be a pillow fighter at this point, but at the same time, if they can settle in and something along the lines of, honestly, they might just need to go back to the starting lineup that worked so well in the last month of last season, Rogier, Clark, Grant, Williams, and Dixon run out Savrasov and Fusini Drame off the bench and then pick two other guys based on the day. This team could get rolling in a heartbeat the way that St. Joe's probably will at some point. They'll probably still rattle off a hot streak, but Duquesne is teetering on the precipice right now. This, this going from bad to season ending awful. Mm-hmm. All right. I actually have one more buy. I want to get through, and maybe this is just the recency bias after ending the losing streak today, but I'm still buying St. Joe's as an A-10 tournament contender, and the two main reasons for that, one, as you know, funny as it might have been for some people that they started 0-3, the Hawks lost those games by a combined 10 points. It's not like they embarrassed themselves, although the fashion they lost was quite shocking especially the 20-point blow-up against St. Louis. But the other end of it, just through our conversations tonight, other than maybe Richmond, and I guess Loyola at 3-1, and one, who's truly looked impressive in the A-10 so far? I mean, St. Bonaventure has been a big disappointment coming off the Fordham game. VCU started to get it back on track, but still getting their key guys back hasn't always led to success. Duquesne's sitting at 0-3. I just think the goals for St. Joe's has changed where going into conference play, they were appearing in some brackets or just outside on the bubble. That's not going to happen anymore. They've lost way too many bad games at this point. But they can still figure it out, and I think their starting five is as talented as any in the conference. So not buying their performance the first two weeks by any means, but just want to remind people that they do have probably the best win in the conference at Villanova. And I wouldn't count them out for Brooklyn because that's where anything can happen. And outside of Dayton, really, the league looks wide open. So. A hundred percent agree. I've said it. I think I said it earlier today. I said it last week. They're going to get hot at some point again. Maybe it's six straight in February. Maybe it's four straight in Brooklyn. I don't know what it's going to look like, but this is the high-variance Hawks. What has happened to them, quite frankly, is not that surprising. I don't think we'd ever think it was ugly enough to be two blown double-digit leads followed by a blown nine-point with eight-minute-to-go lead at home. But they were going to lose some stupid games in conference play. 
And if the threes are falling on a particular night and Xavier Brown and Eric Reynolds are wreaking havoc on the rim, they can beat anybody. And they certainly could win three in a row if they can find their way into fourth. And just look at today. They, they just beat the tar out of LaSalle. And as disappointing as LaSalle's performance has been basically starting at the Howard game, even in the games where they play like garbage, they hang around. Look at Miami, look at VCU. Like this is a team that just doesn't get pounded the way that St. Joe's did it to them. Yeah. I, I it's just that the goals of their season has changed. We thought they might be an at-large. That's over, but now they don't have to worry about it. They don't have any of that pressure, and they just need to be playing their best basketball in March. And history tells us we get a lot of bid thieves in the league, so I I think there's still a chance for them. I, I want to take two seconds on this. If you're any team besides Dayton at this point, or maybe a maybe a younger team like a GW. Actually, no, because GW came in the year not projecting the pillow fight. If you're basically anyone besides Dayton, is your goal now to just get a double bye? Because if the Flyers fall in Brooklyn, I feel like like nine of these teams could potentially win the A-10 tournament at this oh, yeah. point. I would really only, I think I'd count out like four teams right now. But yeah, just about anyone else. It's... It's going to sort itself out. I, I think three weeks from now, we'll have a lot better picture. But, I mean, right now, everybody... I think 10 but, teams could win it right now. I mean, just real quick, like, I would probably write off Fordham, LaSalle, Davidson, I think, St. Louis. St. Louis, and I, I still can't, just don't think roadies can do it. I but. can't give up on Rhode Island when they're undefeated, though. So I'm, I'm not going to... I'm not going to kill them just yeah. Yeah. I mean, God, we would have written off Loyola two weeks ago. We can't do that anymore. No, you can't. All right. Really quick one here. This was going to be my honorable mention, but we doubled up on Fordham. And this is one I would have really liked to go into, but the later in the week pods going to get very deep into what Dayton's doing this season, but I'm buying the fact that they're number one in Ken Palm defensive efficiency since conference play started. They've jumped 20 spots nationally in that regard as well, now sitting 87th to go with an elite 11th-ranked offense in the country. I thought going into the year this team was going to rely on their defense. I don't understand why they had a tendency in non-conference play to go six, seven minutes where they were just getting torched. Look at the LSU game, Northwestern. Um, what was that one right before Christmas? Uh, Oakland. Oakland, yep. It's It happened over and over and over again. And now in these last three games, they have shut that door. They are locked in. They are playing hard on the defensive end. And I still believe that this is really unquestionably to me one of the three best defenses in the league. It's certainly looking that way after it didn't for the first month and a half of the season. And that's really what elevates the fire ceiling. So, yeah, all of a sudden... If they can maintain that defense, we could we could see this turn into an even more special season. I mean, they couldn't make a three in the first half against Duquesne, and they managed to to really dominate that game anyway. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Well, with that, I'll I'll leave you with one more honorable mention of my own, and this is this hurts to say, but I've seen a lot of buzz, especially after this nationally televised win at Duquesne. 
I, I'm just going to sell any comparisons to the 2020 team, and I'm going to sell any Duran comparisons to Obi Toppin. The Flyers are awesome this year, but I think what I'm seeing just some of the the chatter out there about where this Dayton team could go. I think we forget just how amazing that team was in 2020. They were sixth in Ken Palm at this point that season. I I just wanted to appreciate that. I I do think Dayton is the pretty overwhelming favorite to win the A10 right now, but they aren't quite as far ahead of the pack as they were that year. So they are definitely not as good as the 2020 team. I mean, they took what was for certain the best team in the country in Kansas to the break in November. And the, like you could just feel it watching that team that they just did things that were special. This team is really good, but they are not quite special. Mm-hmm. Obi had a better season than Duran had. And I don't even want to talk about this now because this is probably worthy of like a 20 minute plus discussion, but I just want people to ponder Duran might leave here having a better career than Obi. Three years on campus for both, but Obi had to spend one on an academic red shirt. And the one spectacular season of Obi compared to a nearly as great season from Duran, that difference is probably not enough to outweigh two other really good seasons that Holmes has given them. And it's going to be kind of funny to think about, but he might leave that campus having the better legacy. I mean, part of it, it might depend where the state and teams at, where they end up. I mean, if, if Dayton goes to the Sweet 16 and Duran leads the Flyers, then yeah, and OB just never had that chance. But if it ends up being a 10 seed that loses in the first round, probably not. I think a lot of that legacy will just end up where where the season for the entire team goes. All right, my last one. Terrible analytics numbers be damned for the second straight year. I am absolutely buying GW as a surefire top half team and double by contender. Sitting at three and one, and as I look at this, Ken Palm still has them going eight and ten in the conference. They're basically mediocre just overall, no matter what advanced metric you look at, slightly above average on offense, slightly below average on defense. And you, you kind of get that vibe watching them. But this team is really talented. And there's there's something going on with Chris Caputo at the bench that that team wins close games over and over again. We've seen it for two seasons now. Whether it's a back-and-forth battle or whether it's pissing away games against teams that are way worse than them, but never actually losing. By the way, that's part of why their analytics are so bad. Those games in December where they were in control and then threw them away. But this is a good team. And they kicked the tar out of George Mason earlier today. I'm just impressed with this rotation all around. One of the biggest things going on at this point Maximus Edwards, the rookie of the year in the A-10 last season, and a guy who felt like took a step back in the non-conference. He kind of disappeared. You'd watch long stretches of games, and you'd see 
James Bishop doing his thing, the beautiful Garrett Johnson shots, Darren Buchanan playing like he's at a YMCA in 1972 and stretch protecting the rim. And you just didn't notice Edwards out there. This George Mason game, he looked like the Edwards of last season, just attack after attack after attack. And you know what? He was awful in that game. Incredibly inefficient. At one point, I believe he was two for 11 shooting, but I was so impressed by the fact that he seemed to have his burst back again. Right now, he leads the league in rebounding in conference play as a guard with great rebounders all around him. But I, I just, I, I like this team all around. I don't even have the stat to point out. But they're just passing the eye tests with flying colors in conference play. And an another quick aside, Antoine Smith Jr. basically wasn't playing. I like today that they threw him in just to give them another physical body. And then he started hitting threes. He kind of took the yeah. Benny Schroeder spot in the rotation. But yeah, GW, ignore the nerds. They certainly are. They're a good team. I can't even really explain it, but they're a good team. No, I mean, like just some of the teams that are ahead of them and all the analytics, like GW just has way better vibes than like VCU or Davidson or Duquesne right now. I, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think we were spooked a little bit by some of these awful games at the end of the non-conference, but now we get to the league and kind of just like last year, they've shown an ability to beat some pretty solid teams. So somehow, some way they are going to avoid the pillow fight. I think you're right. And I'm going to give a quick prediction here. They're about their next two. They're at UMass at Richmond. They're going to be probably somewhere around eight to 10 point dogs in both of those games. And in one of them, <clears throat> they will get obliterated. And I think they'll win the other. Yeah, you're probably right. It's whatever happens, it's going to be probably the most entertaining team for the second year in a row, at least for me. They, they're the cocaine team. I said it last week. That might have been the only smart thing I said on that pod. You you get this incredible high of watching these close games because they're always so fun. And everything this team does is fun. They have five legitimate all fun team candidates this year. It's completely insane. They have, I believe, five more home ESPN Plus games too, which is turning into one of our favorite broadcasts. So I can't wait for that. It that might be the worst broadcast in the league but it also might just be good and I can't figure it out. But that's the whole point of the cocaine team. They're so fun to watch. You talk yourself into the broadcast perfectly fitting their games. And then you walk away just kind of not understanding what you just spent your last 45 minutes completely locked into. It's, it's confusing, but it's uh it's an experience. That's for sure. Um, any other honorable mentions for you? I just want to give eight seconds to Daniel Hankins Sanford, who is a guy I've really liked all year. He's not going to do enough stuck behind those two stud bigs, but if neither, if one of those two choose not to use their fifth year next season, he's going to start and he's going to be a quality starter immediately. I really like that guy. One of the best backups in the league and he'll never get six man of the year because Kobe Brea locked that up two months ago. Uh, 
Not really. I mean, I guess the one concerning thing for me is just that if LaSalle kills someone's season every year, Dayton's kind of the only team that can have their season killed anymore. So take that what you will. God, it's it's going to be both hilarious and painful when they beat a top 20 Dayton team next week and knock them out of the rankings. Yeah, I'm starting to get concerned about that one. But we'll see. Only one for me. I just want to ask you real quick. We're definitely selling St. Bonaventure as like a mid-tier two pillow fighter team, right? Like they're oh. still they're still pretty squarely top six. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, I just want to make sure. No, the second half against Fordham was pretty atrocious. No, it is what it is. I mean, I still think St. Bonaventure. I would not be surprised if they're a double by a team. I, I think, I think I, I'm pretty sure I'd pick them four right now. I think, I, yeah, I think they're going to be fine. I'm not. If they lose to Rody this week at home, that would raise way more concerns because that would be two bad losses in a row at home. But I, I think they're going to be okay. Yeah, I, I, I still just kind of feel the same way about them as I have all year. Is they're just like a four to six, fourth to sixth place team, basically. I don't, I don't think a lot of teams. I mean, we talked about it when we were watching the games this weekend, but I don't think a lot of teams are going to have an answer for the venting machine. That guy is another, another oh, player in we, in the first we team race. Just gone there, yeah. An easy gonna... buy on Chad Venning, yeah. Kind of locking down his first team spot, although uh, the position it, the position thing doesn't matter in this. But we went from at the beginning of the year looking like this league might only have one all conference level center, and now between Holmes, Venning, and Neil Quinn, there's three guys who are going to make their case for first team, and maybe Josh Cohen. Oh yeah, stays in it. Yeah, and not first, not first team, but he could be all conference. I mean, he's got... Just because Cross, Cross is the guy. Yeah. Cross is their best player, and that got proven in the roadie game. He's got eight 20-point games this year, though. I wouldn't I wouldn't give up on it, although UMass is going to have to be very good for that to happen. I, Josh Cohen just feels destined to just waltz right into a third-team spot when it's all said and done. Yeah. All right. But, yeah, that does it for this episode of the Three Bid League Podcast. Thank you all for listening. As I mentioned at the top, be sure to tune back in the second half of the week. Got at least one great guest for you coming for you. It's going to be an entertaining episode, so tune back in for that. Be sure to follow us on Twitter if you don't already, at the number Three Bid League Pod. Subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a comment and review. We always appreciate your five stars. And have a fun week. We got games on five different days this week instead of the customary four. And as I say this, there might even be a Sunday game. So maybe six. Great week for A-10 basketball. Shakes to knock us down.